0: glad you guys are all here. Find your seat. We're going to be working our way through the book of 1 John. If you guys are following along, we're going to be in the book of 1 John chapter 2 verse 28 through chapter 3 verse 3. All right? So grab your Bibles. As you guys know, we're working our way through this verse by verse. And if you don't have a Bible, the verses will also be on the screens so you can follow along. And at some point during the message, we're going to get in groups and discuss things like we do most weeks to make you feel uncomfortable and to push you out of your comfort zone, but it's really for all of our benefit as a church. Um, because at Jericho Road, our goal is to not be a consumer-minded church, but a producing-minded church. And to, uh, So that's why sometimes in the message we'll throw in like, hey, answer this question in a group, okay? So we, we're going to throw that out there a little bit later. Um, but let me read our text for this morning, okay? And it is starting in 1 John 2, verse 28 through 3, 3 It says this, And now, little children, that was what John often called the church that he was overseeing. So that's not like he's talking to children, but that's what he calls the church. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears... Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we pray that... uh, Your Holy Spirit speaks to each one of us this morning, and and God uh, gives us a, a part of truth that we could take with us throughout the week, and God, I pray that we leave here a changed people, and every Sunday when we walk out of here, God, we just get a truth that we can live by each week, and so God, we pray that you tell each one of us what we need to hear to bring glory to you, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, okay, So the big notes I got from the first part, verse 28 and 29, are this. We are to abide in him, okay? We talked a little bit about abiding last week and what abiding means, but we're supposed to abide in him. The other big point is this. Jesus is coming back, amen? So that is a truth. That is a fact in scripture that one day Jesus is going to come back. And, And the other part the Bible says is we don't know when that day is. It could be today. It could be now. It could be a 100 years from now. We simply don't know, and, and, and God kind of planned it like that, that we wouldn't know. And it, com- it says, I'm going to return like a thief in the night. But we do know that Jesus is coming back, and uh, we, are, we look forward to that day. And that's what a lot of this passage is about. And the last part about the last big point, we sh- the first is we should abide in him. The second is Jesus is coming back. And the third is we can feel confident and unashamed when he returns, okay? So my question to start out, and we're not going to get in groups to discuss this, but it's just for you to think about right now. If you knew Jesus was coming back this week, like if, if if, if somehow we knew that Jesus said he was coming back Wednesday of this week, what would you change, all right? Like what would you change about your life? What would you do different? Think about that. Out of all your day-to-day activities or weekly activities, what would you do different? How, what would you change? And how would you live your life for these next two to three days knowing that Jesus was coming back? And, he, and here's the reality to that question as you kind of think about it. If you would change a lot in your life, and if that in the next two days looked incredibly different than the last ten years of your life, you're probably not living the way God wants you to. <laughs> Does that make sense, what I'm trying to say? If you would change so much and stop doing this and stop doing this and stop doing this, like, you're pro- like we should be living every day like Jesus is coming back that day. Amen? And, like, and so when you think about that question, it's like, oh man, well, first I would just, you know, stop doing this, I would stop doing this, and I would definitely start doing this and start doing this. <laughs> It's like you know we we might not be doing exactly what Jesus wants us to, so not much should change because we should be living like that way anyway. And so, what it kind of talks here, and and this is the question, and we'll break this down in a minute, is there are people you know in the Bible that are saved, and then there's people in the Bible that are barely saved. All right, and we see this a little bit, and the Apostle Paul talks about this barely saved crowd. And it says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3.15. I think it'll be on the screens for you too. Yeah. Oh, you're good. I thought somebody in the crowd was like, wait a second. Um, it says this. He, not meaning like us, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through the fire. And he's like, that person in that context will be saved, but it'll be like just, just enough, just enough to be saved. And that's sort of what... John is talking about here in 1 John, Um, and it it says, like, basically, um, there are those who, for at least a moment, the coming of Jesus will be a moment of disappointment rather than glory. There'll be some of us Christians who the coming of Jesus will be a disappointment rather than glory, maybe just for a moment of, like, oh, no, regret and shame, and that's kind of what we see here in this passage in verse uh, 28. It says, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and won't shrink back in shame at his coming. And so he's saying, you belong to Christ, but what's your demeanor going to be like when he returns? Are you going to be like, yes, he's here? Or are you going to be like, ah, I've kind of not been living for Jesus like I should have been and kind of shrink back in, in shame? And he's asking that. You know, when I was a, uh, a kid, and maybe like you guys too, like I had a certain amount of rules and like chores, you know, like number one, we kind of lived on a farm, so I had chores. But of the day-to-day chores that I was probably the worst at was just keeping my bedroom clean, especially as a teenager. And I don't know if anybody else is in that boat where your parents just wanted your room clean. Well, like on Saturdays, we were supposed to keep our room clean, you know, and that was a day that it's like, if that room ain't clean on Saturday, you're in trouble. Like especially if you've been up there for an hour and they look at it and it hasn't been cleaned and you're in trouble. Um, And that's kind of way I was. And then, so there are times when my parents would come in and it would be clean. And there are times they'd come in and I would shrink back in shame and disappointment because it wasn't clean. And you know what? When it was clean and looked great, I was, I wanted my dad to come into my room, right? Like you're just excited. Like you're leaving the door open like, Dad, come on upstairs. You know, I want you to see what I've done. And those are the days he wouldn't even check, right? (laughs) Like, come on up here. Check out this room. And then the days where I played video games and I was uh, just neglected my room is the days he would come in. And And he'd be like, what have you been doing up here the whole time? And I think about that when it comes to Jesus. Is If we are doing our best, as it says here, to live for Jesus, we will be excited as it's coming. And that should be our demeanor, is like excitement and joy. And we should be pumped thinking about the return of Christ. We should not have shame. And we should all want him to come. And we should be prepared. Um, Charles Spurgeon says this, and I pulled this quote, and it's up here. It says this, the scriptural prescription For preparing for Jesus's coming is this abide in him. If you abide in the faith of him, holding his truth, following example, and making him your dwelling place, your Lord may come at any hour, and you will welcome him. So saying we should just be so excited. We should be like that kid whose angry dad is coming. No, not like God's angry. That was a really good example. My dad was angry, but God isn't angry. We should be like that kid whose dad could come at any hour, and we're standing by our room and saying, look, it's good, it's it's clean, and we're ready, and I'm prepared. And that's kind of what Spurgeon is saying here. Those that are ashamed of his coming will realize that they have been living worldly lives. And in one moment, the understanding will overwhelm them that whatever else they accomplished in life, they did not abide in him as they should have. And so that's kind of the crux of Christ returning. And our demeanor, as I said, at his return, should always be, yes, Lord, come, please. And when I talk to Christians, sometimes they feel guilty about that. They're like, I really want Jesus to come back. And I feel kind of guilty about that. And I'm like, don't feel guilty. I want Jesus to come back today. Lord, please come. And that should be our demeanor all of the time is like, we're just so excited for the return of of Jesus. And when we hear those trumpets blare and the sky turns bright white, we should run outside and be like, yes! it's Today's the day! I'm so excited and we're pumped and we're just so glad that he has come back. And John's saying, that should be our demeanor. Don't Do not be that group that kind of shrinks back and like, oh, instant regret. And even though you're saved, but just barely by the flames, And that's why he's talking about that barely saved crowd that just got in, but they're just, when they see Jesus, they're just like, ah, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have not done that. And we can just, we can be prepared and have that attitude. So the question I want you to answer in your groups, so you're asking, how do I get in a group? Just do it with the people that are around you, okay? Um, And make sure nobody's sitting alone. If you see anybody sitting alone, just invite them to your group. Um, maybe like four or five people per group, uh, answer this question, how do you abide in him? Because we've seen that Spurgeon said the scriptural prescription for preparing for his coming is abiding in him. Um, My question for you guys is how do you abide in him and what does that look like for you? Some of us might have asked like, well, what does abide mean? Like, I don't know how to really answer that question. What does abide mean? Um, As we talked about last week a little bit, it means to walk with, to live with, Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to remain in Jesus, to live your life every day walking with Jesus. And I don't want you to get it twisted. Um, None of us are gonna live a perfect life. And I think that's kind of the lie Satan does here, is like, if you screw up, you're not really Christian. If you screw up, you're not really abiding. So just, just don't go there. It's like, none of us can do that. I am like the I'm the lead pastor of this church, and I struggle every single day to walk with Jesus, right? Our elders who are in the highest position of the church, you know, and spiritually oversight of the church struggle every day to abide in Jesus. But it's a practice, as it talks about in the next couple of verses. It's a practice of walking with Jesus. And you know what I love most about practice is the reason we do practice things, whether you practice piano or you practice a sport, is so we can become better. And and we're going to make mistakes, and Jesus is like, that's going to happen. God's like, that's going to happen. But you practice because when you shoot that basket, you miss, and you miss, and you miss, but then you hit some, and then you just keep practicing. Where the problem comes when you walk away from practice altogether. And we've seen people walk away from the church altogether, walk away from abiding, as we say, in Christ, and say, I just give up. I tried. I screwed up too many times. And the other word for that is sanctification, and it's not all on you. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, does a work in our souls that we're not even aware of. As long as we stay in the Word, we pray, the Holy Spirit's doing a work at us and changing us from the inside out, Um, and that's called sanctification. So um, abiding is going to look a little different for each one of us, but the key is to stay as close to Jesus as possible. Whether you start your day with Jesus, you pray throughout the day, you hold every thought captive, you live for Jesus, you talk to people about Jesus. Like Jesus is your everything and you remain in him as he is in you. You just keep Jesus at the forefront. And then the other part of that main verse was practice righteousness because he is righteous. Practice righteousness, for he is righteous. Um, and there is, as we talked about, practicing righteousness is a, is a conscious effort towards being righteous. And as Christians, um, there's different parts of the Bible we can go to for that. And the one I want to point to you uh, specifically is the book of Colossians chapter 3. In the book of Colossians chapter 3, he just breaks down, if, like, and I actually gave you guys something to take home and help you with this, But he breaks down, like, church, if you want to practice righteousness, put on these things and put off these things. Do these things, don't do these things. And that's a good way, on top of abiding in Christ, that we could do. So I'm going to read this to you, um, Colossians 3, uh, 5 through 9. This is the put off, like stop doing, okay? Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature... Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life that you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. And do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self and his practices." So, he's saying, is one of the ways you can practice righteousness is if you find that you have a habit on here, like consciously work at not doing those things. If you notice that you lie on a regular basis, stop it and ask God to help you. All right? Um, in the pew in front of you, under there, I put a bookmarks for all of you to take home. Um, if there's not enough in front of you, there's plenty of them in other pews. So, if you need extra, go see. Um, Yeah, if you're sitting in the front row, the row behind you could pass you one. Uh, Thank you, Kevin. Kevin's like, there's no imaginary pew in front of us. Um, So that is the put off. Does everybody see them? If you guys need them, look in the row behind you or in front of you. Okay, good. Um, So that's the put off. And now Colossians 3, the other side of your little bookmark, is what to put on, okay? And now these are the things that you need to try and, and clothe yourselves with, okay? And it says this, uh, Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. If you guys hear these stories of single young women that are pregnant and have nowhere to go, and you feel nothing, ask God to give you a triple dose of compassion. If you hear about these families that are in this like shelter for Thanksgiving and they're staying in a shelter instead of their own homes and you don't feel anything, ask God for compassion. He will give it to you. And you got to clothe yourselves and be like, God, I don't feel anything. Help me. And there's of us that have more compassion and that's maybe our gift and we just break down and cry every time we hear it. Uh, not all of these are going to come easy to every one of us saying clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness. We have to be kind. Kindness isn't a choice. I oftentimes hear in the church of like, I'm just forward. That's the way I am. If it offends you, that's on you. It's like, that's not very kind, <laughs> right? Kindness is thinking about other people's feelings and putting their feelings first into care about them and and, you know we have to clothe ourselves with that constantly. Gentleness, impatience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgave you. And all these virtues put above all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body we are called to peace. And be thankful Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through the psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen? I mean, if you want to learn about abiding, I'd go to Colossians 3 and just read, forgiving one another put on love. Above all else, if you just check a box and say, okay, I'm going to stop cussing, I'm going to stop lusting, I'm going to stop doing this, but love is the one that binds them all together. So we have to consciously figure out how can we love one another well? How can we put on love above all else? Um, and so on your little your little uh, bookmark thingies that I gave you, stick those in your Bible. Um, we are to practice these things. Practice putting off these things and practice putting on these things, and we are never going to get it right all the time, and that's okay. But the practice is like, I am going to keep working towards this in the name of Jesus, okay? So we are to abide in Jesus and practice righteousness. So he gives this final reminder in uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, which even though it's the next chapter, the same line of thought still applies. And this is one of, the, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, is chapter 3, verse 1. Um, different translation says, uh, See what kind of love the Father has lavished over us. Okay, I think the NIV says that, but we're in the ESV today. And it says, See what kind of lo- love the Father has given to us. See what kind of love the Father has lavished over us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Guys, if one thing you remember this is that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are no longer outsiders. You're no longer orphans. You're no longer enemies. But we are actually called children of God. Amen? I'm pausing. I'm going to go off my notes for a second. But uh, I watched this Netflix show. So you probably already tell this is probably the most, like, profound thought ever. But I was watching Netflix this week, And uh, I was watching the Unsolved Mysteries that just came out. They just dropped like a new season, and I loved the last couple, but I was watching the Unsolved Mysteries. Um, And in it, it was about like parental abductions, like a mom and dad get divorced and the dad or the mom takes the kid to like another country, right? And so the kids are gone and the, the mom or dad have no access to the kids anymore. And i was watching it and it was kind of like wow that's crazy like i never thought about that like they took them across through like another country basically and they traced the kids and i'm not judging this lady i mean it is what it is i was just thinking off the top of my head they traced the kids with the dad to like cairo egypt and the mom saw that there's like the emails ip addresses in cairo egypt u.s has no jurisdiction there so they're just with the dad there And she's like, I was advised by my lawyer to not go there because if I go there, like if you do like something wrong there, maybe like not having your head covered or something, you could be thrown in jail for like 10 years. And so she's like, our hands are kind of tied. I'm like, if that was God, he would be on that plane in Cairo and he would risk the 20 years in jail. Amen? Like God would be there. And I'm not judging her. I'm not judging them. But I'm saying like, if my kids were in another country— I think I would risk the jail time to get them back. And I'm, again, everybody's in different places and it's risky, but I'm like, God, we are God's children. He did not spare his one and only son that we could have eternal life, amen? And he risked it all. He gave it all so that we could simply be called his children. What great love the Father has lavished over over us. And it says the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and we, um, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but what, we, but what we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And that's the other part about practicing righteousness is actively working to purify ourselves and, and live for him. So, lastly, John gives us plea to meditate on how much God loves us and how we are called his children. We are adopted into his family. And we just need to sit and meditate on how much God loves us. The devil is going to tell you that you are abandoned, that you are forgotten about, that you are not loved, and God is going to constantly say we are his children. And it ends by saying if you feel like an oddball in the world, that is okay, (laughs) right? That is okay because you're not always going to fit in with the world, right? And I think, if I'm being perfectly honest, the reason the church in America is so compromised is because they tried their hardest to look exactly like the world in hopes that they would draw the world, right? We want to be exactly like the world. And so the world comes and, and, and they realize that's not really what we need. And the church has changed so much so they would look like the world. And it's like, we don't want to be like that church. We are going to be different, but it's all for God's glory. And when you are in your places of work, you might be an oddball just because of your faith in Jesus. And Jesus says, just remember... The world hated me first. It's okay. Keep loving people, and we're not always going to fit in. So then he goes back at the very end to those that hope in him, and he says, be ready for his return. Be abiding in Jesus, purifying yourself, so that you can be ready and say, yes, Lord, when that trumpet sounds and Jesus comes back. Let's pray. God, uh, help us have no other demeanor other than, yes, Lord, please come. Help us be excited and looking forward to your return. And God, help us throughout this life practice righteousness, putting off those things that we need to, anger, rage, lust, all those, lying, all those things, and help us clothe ourselves with love, kindness, compassion. God, I pray that we are a church that looks radically different than the rest of the world. That the world sees us and they see a beacon of light in and, and the testimony of the lady from Family Promise about us is what the rest of the world sees. That they loved the homeless, that they loved the hurting, that they loved each other well, that they, that they loved each other well. And most of all, that we had a radical love for God. In Jesus' name.